Good morning. Well, um, it's good to be back in, in Georgia. Left Coast people are weird. And, uh, it's really cool to be back around normal folks. I'm actually probably the abnormal one. So it's really good. It was good to be home. Um, um, I, I wish I could say, uh, along with Adam, um, well, well maybe, um, I, it, it is now a reality for me. Um, uh, but for most of my life, I hated Christmas. And, and I don't have, and the reasons aren't, the purpose for that isn't, isn't for to unpack now. Um, I hate Christmas. I've hated it. And, and, um, and the work of the Spirit in sanctifying broken, damaged goods over time has restored joy in Christmas uh, for me. Uh, and, and that joy uh, takes the form of, of an exuberant enjoyment of the person of Jesus Christ. Um, one of the things I want to say to you this morning, and, and this, um, as a matter of fact, we're going to take a look at 1 John 1, 1 to 4. And um, by title, this morning I want to talk about joy in the season of Christmas, a pre-Advent encouragement. We're not quite to Advent. That starts next Sunday. Um, but a little pre-Advent encouragement to get you ready um, to enjoy this season. Um, for a lot of my life, joy was something growing up um, that wasn't just part and parcel of our household. And to be able to, as a, as a redeemed, being worked on follower of Jesus Christ, joy is an addictive emotion. Um, and in this season in particular, we can enjoy it. We can have great joy in this season. So what I want to do is hopefully prepare your heart to begin to enjoy, enjoy, enjoy deeply this season of Christmas. First John 1, 1 to 4. Let me read this for you. Um, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Maybe Christmas is a season you, you don't take a lot of joy in for, for various reasons. And all of our reasons, we could get together and, and throw a party and talk about them. Um, but we... As followers of Jesus Christ can, and I would say perhaps it is mandated that we take great delight in Christ all the time, but more so in this season. And I want to help us get a, a head start on enjoying Christ this season because He is infinitely enjoyable. He is infinitely delightful, infinitely desirable, and to be enjoyed, and in our enjoyment of Him, greatly glorified and magnified in this season. First John was probably written as a response to the rise of an early form of Gnosticism. This was a system that pirated Christian themes 
to propagate an idea and understanding of salvation based on an obscure, sort of enigmatic knowledge or gnosis, thus the term Gnosticism. Now, according to Gnosticism, redemption is through affirming the divine light already in the human soul, not through repentance of sin and faith in Christ's death to bring about spiritual rebirth, which, by the way, Gnosticism is very much like post-modernity, cosmic humanism, which little thing for you to note, there are no new heresies. They just get recycled and are given different names. Uh, and, and, and John is beginning to address something here that would birth uh, second through the fifth centuries and get recycled into our time period today. Writings wi- widely publicized in recent years, particularly if you watch the History Channel and things like that on on. Jesus, particularly at Christmas and at Easter, you'll get a lot of this this kind of stuff as you flip through the channels. Um, they publicize works like the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Judas, the Infancy Gospel of James, um, as examples of, of of writings that people read um, around those times of years to cast doubt on the identity of Jesus. Those were products of Gnostic writers in the second through fifth century. The heyday of Gnostic thought was second through the 5th century, as I've said already, well after the New Testament books had been written. So it, can't, it can neither be proven or ruled out that John had forerunners of this movement in mind as he wrote. But what is definite is that these followers of Jesus that John is writing to had witnessed an exodus of people from their ranks, from their fellowship. And this has caused them to lose joy. It's caused them to lose their confidence in their salvation and the forgiveness of their sin. It's caused them to lose sight of sound doctrine. And it's caused them to be buffeted by the spirit of Antichrist, who John says is already in the world. And by the way, if there is an attack on your joy, it is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is the spirit of Antichrist which has already come into the world, John says, that denies that Jesus has come in the flesh. We'll say more about that somewhere around February as we get there. John's aim in this book here in 1 John is redemptive. He urges these Christians to refine their theological understanding, sharpen their ethical rigor, maybe one of the most Difficult yet glorious passages in the Bible is 1 John 3, 1 to 10, and we'll deal with that soon. And he wants them to grow their devotional intensity. To sum that up, he wants them to grow in faith, obedience, and love. But it has to be said that this book, 1 John, is not a list of do's and don'ts. 1 John is rather a declaration of done. It is done. John nineteen thirty. it is finished. 1 John highlights what the Father has done in sending the Son and offering Him as a sacrifice for sins and sending this word of life that is causing the world's darkness to pass away and the true light of the age of God's kingdom to shine. And that's exactly what we celebrate at Christmas, the coming of the Son of God, who would do away with the kingdom of darkness who would come and bring salvation to the world so that through repentance and faith in Christ, men might be saved and the light of God's kingdom to begin shining on them and transforming them. And John ends this introduction here in 1 John 1, 1-4 with a purpose statement. 
And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. What realities, there's a question for you, what realities make the apostle write this letter that the peoples and their joy may be complete? What realities is he going to share with them that's going to make their joy complete? Well, he stated it clearly already. Verse 1 through verse 3. Jesus has come. The rescue mission has begun. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, has come. He has taken on flesh and died in the place of sinners. Number two, Father has revealed the Son. The Father has made the Son known. He has proclaimed the Son of God to men. And now the Son is being proclaimed with the gospel message through the mouths of the apostles and believers everywhere as the way to eternal life. And this mission of the Son to come and the Father's revealing of the Son as the way to eternal life makes fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit and with man possible, makes it complete, and makes it full of joy. And at Christmas, we celebrate, we enjoy the fact that Jesus has come. And that this baby in a manger would die in the place of sinners. And he would ascend to rule his people well by saving them and bringing them in fellowship with Trinity and with each other with complete joy. Saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, full of joy and in fellowship. Again, at Christmas, we celebrate Jesus who has come. He has died. He has risen. And He has ascended to rule you and I and His kingdom well by bringing them into fellowship with Himself and each other with joy. So, this Christmas season, as a pre-Advent encouragement, I want to say to us, let's fight for joy. And guys, there are going to be 150,000 things that are going to attack your joy. They're going to come subtly. They're going to come as just things we do during this season. But let us fight for joy in Christ. By fighting for fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And fighting for fellowship with each other. And those make up my two main points that I want to talk to you about this morning out of 1 John 1, 1 to 4. Point number one, this Christmas, fight for joy by fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit. Notice what John says here. Remember Christmas, we celebrate Christ has come, right? That's what Christmas is about, right? It's not about family and friends and celebrating the season, right? Like we're going to see on all the great Christmas specials. That's not what Christmas is about, right? You get that. We celebrate that, that the rescue mission has been started, that the eternal, preexistent Son of God has come and taken on flesh. And He's lived a perfect life. And we come to Easter and celebrate the fact that this eternal Son of God has died in the place of sinners and risen and ascended to go about as general ruling the Great Commission to gather His people from all nations so that He may be worshipped. That's what we're celebrating, right? That's kind of joyous, isn't it? That's pretty exciting. 
And that's what we're celebrating. And as a result of Christ's coming, listen to what John says. That which we've seen, this is verse 3, 1 John 1, 1 to 4, verse 3. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So that, love purpose clauses, they tell you why he just said what he said, right? He just said, Jesus has come, right? Nice summary. And he says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ has come, and in His saving work, He has brought about fellowship for us with the God of the universe. It's amazing. It's easy to spit those words out and lose the impact of them. In the garden, if, if, if you'll travel back in time with me to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, in perfect relationship with the Trinitarian God of all creation. One command, right? One command. The, the globe is your playground. Go fill it with offspring. Tend it. It's awesome. One command. And they break it. And they hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Do they run to Him for fellowship? No! They run and hide in the bushes! Because the fall has now divided and separated man from God and man created in the image of God, the image of God is marred. And rather than enjoy and delight in and run to and speak with and hear from, we run away from. We're separated from. And Christ has sent on the rescue mission to die in the place of sinners, to reconcile, to bring back, to fellowship us with Him. Jesus' coming makes possible that we fellowship with God. Are you, are you feeling that? You are, you, are, you are made to enjoy, delight in the God of the universe. The fall messed that up, but Christ has come to fix it so you can now have fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit. This is insanely amazing. This is like mind-blowingly joyous that when Christ came, He made possible our fellowship with the God of the universe. Draw back real quick. This Christmas, this is the point, fight for joy by fellowshipping with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Fight for joy, okay? Fight for joy. How? By fellowshipping with Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, what is joy? Joy is expressed like a lot of different ways in the Bible. The Bible uses lots of words for joy. Happiness. I I don't necessarily agree with the idea that happiness is like in... People like draw a distinction between joy and happiness. I don't. I don't see that distinction in Scripture. The Bible uses a lot of words to describe joy, like gladness, desire, delight, happiness. You know, it's that basic sense of what the Bible calls kara, joy, a state of joy and gladness. Some languages express joy in an idiom. I'll give you an example. My heart is dancing. Some languages don't have a word for joy. They say, my heart dances. Um, and you know, you guys are smart enough to know your heart doesn't like do the Texas two-step or something inside you. I mean, your emotive, your, your volitional capacity inside you is supercharged and it, yeah, that's good. You know what I'm talking about? 
You know that. Some people, some languages say, my heart shouts because I'm happy. That's the biblical idea of joy, kara. And John says, we're writing these things to you that our joy is complete. We have fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit, and fellowship with each other. And in that, our joy is made complete. This Christmas, fight for that joy. Christmas should not rob us of our heart dancing. Christmas should not rob us of our heart shouting in gladness and in great happiness because Christ has come. And in His coming, He's made fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit possible. 171 times the word joy is found in the ESV. 41 of those occurrences are in the book of Psalms. I'll give you a little sampling very quickly. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. What a glorious reality. That, that what happens in the fall is we have a tendency to come to Father and think Father's a killjoy. He's not. He's the source of happy. He runs the divine happy store of the universe. And He invites us to come and buy freely through the blood of Christ all the happy we can handle. So that we come to Him and in Him there is fullness of desire, delight, joy at His right hand, pleasures forevermore. And at Christmas we celebrate the restoration of that. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? And you never, you ever notice like you can't package joy? Like even if somebody wrapped a, bush, a Colt Bushmaster 308 caliber stainless steel so it wouldn't corrode ever and like put it under the tree, I would have great, I would, I would enjoy that for a while. But after a while that would wear off, right? Because you can't package joy. It's my heart dancing. And my heart only dances when it's restored to fellowship with Father from the fall. And that's what Jesus came to accomplish for us. Joy. Psalm 32, 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord. So the Lord in coming has restored fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit and with each other so that we can have great joy. Well, what is fellowship? Fellowship is an association, a close association. It's a Bible word, koinonia. When I was um, my home church here, we used to have a church newsletter, and it was called the koinonia. And I didn't know what that meant until later on. I was oh, that means fellowship. And the church was named fellowship. It took me a while to... Yeah, that's right. I had that, that moment. It's pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah. Fellowship. It's an association, a close association involving mutual relations and involvement. And the unfortunate thing about that definition, it almost falls anticlimactically. Because so often... The idea of fellowship is, is portrayed as simply eating together or simply showing up on Sunday morning. The idea of fellowship biblically is a lot deeper than that. And this, this isn't the time for that talk. The point is to introduce you to the idea that we 
have had close association, close involvement, fellowship restored between us and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because that was lost at the fall. Christ has brought us near so that we have close association. Now, this is why this is important. In the fall, we were separated. In salvation, we're brought near. He is not distant from us. He is near. One of the greatest lies of Satan is that God is distant. That he is far away. The truth and reality is that because Christ has come, he has reconciled us to the Father and he is never far away. He is here. He's here. So I've got three little subpoints, and, and I want to preface them by saying this: it can perhaps be a little too much to focus on each person of the Trinity and miss the reality of the totality, the nature and character of, of God as Father, Son, and Spirit. But it's also easy to go in the other direction and never emphasize the reality of Trinity. And so. I don't want you, as you see these points, to hear me overemphasizing each person or underemphasizing another person of the Trinity. I want you to see the distinctions in Scripture and the person and nature and character of God as Father, Son, and Spirit and the fact that we are given Trinitarian fellowship. And you're going to see what I mean here in just a second. So, so please don't think I'm going overboard by emphasizing too much Trinitarian and maybe missing the point by just emphasizing the nature and character of God, I want you to see in these passages the importance. Remember, fight for joy, right? Fight for joy. How? By enjoying, walking in, living in, delighting in this great reality of fellowship that has been restored through Christ's coming with Father, Son, and Spirit. So here it is. Fellowship with the Father. This Christmas season, take time to enjoy close, mutual relationship with the Father. Which, back up and say, this is in my notes, but I thought about this early this morning, because Golden had the book. Um, we were talking briefly about it this past weekend. I used to teach a spiritual formation class at Shorter um, University, and um, one of my key, my textbooks was Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline and Challenge of the Disciplined Life. Do yourself a favor this Christmas season and buy that book and read it. Celebration of Discipline. Read about fasting, prayer, Bible study, silence, solitude. Do yourself a favor, Richard Foster. Google him. Christianbook.com him. It'll pop up. Celebration of Discipline. Do yourself a favor and get that book. Be the best thing you've done for yourself this Christmas. Fellowship with the Father. If you would, go with me to John chapter 16. This passage revolutionized for me prayer. Um, familial relationship. It's so easy to misunderstand Jesus and think somehow that, that the Father is angry and Jesus is sort of the mediator that keeps Father off of us. Kind of makes Father happy for us. When in fact, Jesus is the mind and actions of the Father. The Father loves you. 
And Jesus makes it possible for you to come near to Father who loves you. And just listen to John 16, 25-28. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name. Listen to this. This is, in, this is insane. And I do not say that you will ask that I will ask the Father on your behalf. I need to read that again because I just dyslexic it, and I'm sorry. And that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved me. And have believed that I came from God. You can speak directly to the Father. You can speak directly to the Father. Jesus has made that possible. That is insane. I think the challenge for us is not so much that we can talk to the Father, but believing the Father actually talks to us. The problem isn't the Father talking. The problem is our listening. We have a new heart. The gospel has put in a a heart of flesh that loves him and wants to walk in his way. But the problem is we still have a body of flesh that's got taints of sin in it, right? We all know that because we live with it every day. I'm hoping God will just go ahead and get my wreck of a life and fix it. I'd be, I'd really be appreciative if he could do that without killing me and, you know, taking me on. That'd be awesome, but I have a feeling that's not going to happen. I'm stuck with this thing. It's broke. doesn't work right. doesn't feel right. And, and mo- it's just all kinds of problems. The problem isn't so much Father speaking as it is, as it is my, my, my tuning in to hear. This is why I want you to get fostered. Silent. Solitude. Listen, I'm, I'm going to say something that may freak some of you more Baptist types out. The Father speaks. He is not silent. He talks to His people. He has not left us alone. Jesus has made possible fellowship with the Father. And He speaks to His people. And the problem isn't him speaking. The problem is us hearing. Being quiet enough. Being alone enough. Tuning our minds down enough. Through silence and solitude and quiet. In order to hear. Because he speaks. Listen, this is the, this is the thing. Christianity is, 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 is when you start out talking worldview stuff. You have to start out by understanding Christianity is supernatural. It is not merely natural. It is a supernatural reality. He transcends the natural world. This is a supernatural gig, guys. And God the Father speaks to His people. And the challenge for us is tuning in to listen and recognizing the difference between thoughts that are sinful and thoughts that are generated by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us so that we know Father is speaking to us. Listen, we're going to get the Holy Spirit in just a second, but if Spirit dwells in you... And I can come to Father and speak. And by the way, Jesus spoke about this a lot, didn't he? When Jesus said, talked about prayer, he said, Which of you, though evil, know how to give good gifts to your children? Well, if you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more Father? Right? So he says, if you are evil, 
and your son comes to you and asks you for fish, will you give him a snake? No. And if your son comes and asks for bread, are you going to give him a rock? No. So Jesus said, if you're evil and know how to do good, how much more father who hears and, hears and interacts with you, and when you need legitimately need stuff, he won't give it to you. It's all over Jesus' teaching that we can come to the Father and He speaks and interacts with us. And guys, listen, can I just challenge you to fight for your joy by fellowshipping with the Father some this Christmas season? Find some time to get quiet and sit down and listen. Bible open in front of you, pen in hand or laptop, however you like to take notes, and listen. He is not silent. Listen for thoughts that are biblical. Listen, this is crazy. When you have Scripture, it just comes to mind. It's not because you're a good memorizer. It's not because your brain is operating at full capacity. It's Holy Spirit. It's the Father achieving in you what He said Spirit would do. Let me tell you something. This is not in my notes. Nehemiah 8.10 has always been a little bit of a mystery to me. You guys know it? The joy of the Lord will be your strength. I didn't understand that until... I really learned to sit and listen. This is crazy. And I don't know how to explain this other than you just got to go do it. When you hear the Father, there's something that happens when, when the Creator talks to His creature. And the creature hears that life just sort of springs up and you get that, ooh, it's almost, it's almost like you just drank some spark from Advocare or, or a highly caffeinated beverage without the caffeine. It's like, ooh. The joy of the Lord is when the Lord speaks, joy wells up in the hearts of His people, and a joyous heart can do some amazing things. Right? Speak to the Father. The Father waits for you to speak with Him because Jesus said you will ask the Father directly. Jesus came to make that possible. Isn't that cool? Fellowship with the Father. Secondly, fellowship with the Son. We don't have time to go read this passage, but Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 says something pretty amazing. I'll summarize it here in the notes for you. Christ has come and He's awakened to life those who were dead in their trespasses and sin. He's given them faith to believe so that they may believe and be saved. And it tells us there that Christ is seated in the heavenlies. And He has authority over the spiritual forces of darkness. And that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, already prepared for us to walk in. One of the great realities of the book of Ephesians is Paul is writing to this church to help them overcome their fear of spiritual issues. You can read Acts and, and some of the stuff going on in the city of Ephesus where these new Christians had now been birthed into the family of God. And they were seriously afraid of spiritual darkness, satanic, demonic kind of stuff. And Paul writes to them this letter, and he emphasizes very heavily throughout the entire book that Jesus is seated in the heavenlies. And he rules the heavenly spheres. He rules the sphere of principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in the heavenly places, as he'll say in chapter 6. The emphasis being that Jesus is there, and Jesus rules that, and because you are in Christ, and the Father has seated you with Christ in the heavenlies, you no longer have to fear that. And therefore you were created in Christ Jesus for good works that the Father prepared in advance for you to walk in in Jesus in the heavenlies. 
Meaning, you as a follower of Christ have authority over the spiritual darkness. And you can do the good works Father's called you to do by walking in them because you don't have to be stopped by spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness does not rule the people of God. We have authority over that in Christ who's seated there. And He gave us work to do. And so when that work is impeded, we have the authority of Christ to march through and do the work. This is insanely awesome. There is nothing that can stop the kingdom. And because we're seated with Christ, we fellowship with Him and walk in the works He's given us to do. So, would you fight for joy by fellowshipping with the Son? And in authoritatively pushing through the darkness in the work God's given you to do. Listen, if you set out to do the good works God's given you to do, it will be opposed. This is the way it's going to be. But we have the authority to walk with Christ, pushing through that as salt and light in dark places. Perseverance is needed for that. Just read the book of Acts and the ministry of Paul. Maybe shipwrecked at sea. Maybe beaten with a rod. Forty lashes minus one. But we continue to fight because we have the authority with Christ seated in the heavenlies to push through with the work God's given us to do to walk in it. Probably need to spend more time there, but we need to move on. Fight for joy by fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15, and 16 is the most concentrated place in the whole Bible in which the Holy Spirit is spoken about. In John 14, 15 to 31, Jesus unpacks a little bit of who the Holy Spirit is. And I can't resist the urge to, to go there very quickly. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Which, by the way, John does this really cool thing. He's writing and he moves through the life of Jesus pretty quickly. And then when he gets to the last few hours of Jesus' life, he slows down. So from about chapter 12 on through the end of the book, the last few hours of Jesus' life, he spends a lot of time unpacking the detail of those last hours. And he spends a lot of time unpacking Jesus' conversations with them about what's about to take place. And one of those is, is 14, 15, and 16 about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, and I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper. Alas parakletos. There are two words for another. Alas and heteros. Alas meaning another of the same kind. Heteros meaning another of the different kind. This is alas parakletos, another of the same kind. Get it? Well, if you don't get it, you'll get the change in personal pronoun in just a second. Hang tight. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Listen to verse 18. He's been saying he, him, he, him. Now listen carefully. Watch the shift in personal pronoun. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. <laughs> About the charismatic. Did you, did you see it? Who? Who will come to you? Jesus will come to you. How? Through the Holy Spirit who will be in you. Verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Listen. You have, if you've repented of sin and believed the Gospel, you have a built-in counselor dwelling on the inside of you. He's parakletos. He's counselor. He's counselor. 
You need to know what to do. Ask Him. He's there to answer. And He's not silent. He knows tomorrow. He's the God of the universe. All eternity is before Him. He's not ignorant about tomorrow. You need to know. Ask and listen. He will tell you. It's insanely amazing. And Jesus died to make this possible. You have a built-in counselor. And you have a built-in teacher. Bible class 101 inside of you. If you have a Bible indwelling Holy Spirit, you are teachable. It's amazing what God gets done by the Spirit and the Word through people. You have a built-in teacher. I just tell my, my students, man, listen, just open your Bible and read. Because if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, He will give you insight. He's able to do that. The author of the text dwells in you. And he says he would remind us of what's been said by the Lord. Isn't that cool? Holy Spirit will remind you. When you need to prompt things like, hey, remember what I said? Oh, yeah, that passage, I needed to hear that. That's timely. Because that's what he does. Ephesians 4, 30 and 31 were reminded not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, I think it's interesting that Paul said don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He didn't say don't chase the Holy Spirit away. Meaning, when you sin, Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. He's just grieved because He's holy. But He doesn't leave you. Isn't that awesome? Holy Spirit dwells in you. And so this Christmas, fight for joy by fellowshipping with Father, Son, and Spirit. Does that make sense? That's, that's a way we can build and enjoy this Christmas season, this Advent season. Number two, this Christmas, fight for joy and fellowship with each other. This is a side note. Fellowship as described in Scripture happened not in large corporate gatherings as best that that can be understood. As we do today in the church in the West. Rather, the church gathered in homes or in smaller numbers, networked through cities in the countryside, and each person had close connections with the folks in that church And their fellowship was intimate by nature because they were closely associated. Therefore, when they were transformed by the gospel, their fellowship only deepened because now they were alive in Christ and related deeper than blood and knew how to serve each other's needs. And now they had to learn to do it with the gospel while propagating the gospel in multiplying churches. Fellowship can be had in large services, but it's not the totality of what fellowship is as described in Scripture. That kind of fellowship exploded inside their small groups of community gathered together where the gifts were used for upbuilding, strengthening, and encouragement. And it's no different here. The unfortunate thing is we we live in a culture that independence is our God. Not interdependence. And I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. This is our next 10-year struggle. This is our battle. This fellowship, koinonia, Legitimate interdependence. Because this is not the totality of it. This is mobilization to go and live the totality of it outside of here. In Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, we learn some things about fellowship. We've been brought near to God with all 
who are near to God through salvation in Christ Jesus. The context there is that Paul is speaking that Gentiles have been brought into one body with Jews. And the hostile wall of ethnic division has been torn down with one body in Christ. We may not be ethnically divided, which that's a different talk for a different time. But in so many ways, the church in the West is segmented and it's easy to do because it's the air we breathe, it's the culture we live in. But the reality of fellowship is we've been brought near to God and together we're one body, not many, one. All those who've repented of sin and believed the gospel are members of God's household. And we, the church, are the temple of the Lord. So, this Christmas, fight for joy in your fellowship with each other. Make time for your connect group. One of the things I enjoy most is, is Wednesdays. It's been two weeks since we've had a chance to meet because Thanksgiving and, and, uh, and some meetings. But we, we started meeting at Swift and Finch. Um, and, and I enjoy that time of sharpening. There's some sharp dudes in that group. Um, and that feeds my soul like this doesn't. This, let's be honest, this is outpouring. I called the preacher hangover. It's like, oh, God. Sunday afternoon is the preacher hangover time. It's like, oh, God, am I going to make it to Monday? Wednesday is when it pours in. It pours in. And it's essential to make sure you spend time with other believers. Not here. I mean, this is, this is important. Don't, don't hear that. Don't hear me say this. This is vital. Do not forsake yourself assembling together with other believers. Corporately, this is vital. But it's not the totality of fellowship. And it's easy to get so busy doing Christmas that we miss intimate time with followers of Jesus Christ. Make time for that. Make sure you're connected to people who are on the same mission as you're in inside the church. Confess your sins to one another. Confess your need for accountability. Confess your physical and emotional needs. You know what I'm saying? And in so doing, fight for joy and fellowship with each other. Because what did, what did John say there in 1 John 1, 1 to 4? We have fellowship with the Father and fellowship with each other. Because divisions of all kinds have been broken down. He's brought us together as a body. So we fight for joy and fellowshipping with Father, Son, and Spirit. We fight for joy and fellowshipping with each other. And then finally, come together to worship in word and song. As we fight for joy by fellowshipping with the Trinitarian God of the universe, and we fight for joy in fellowshipping with each other, we can then come together in this place and we can sing and worship in song and we can worship over the word as we hear from him because we fellowship with God and with each other. And then John says, our joy is full. Our joy is complete. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let me pray. Father, I pray today that you will um, do a, a continual, continual work of grace in your people where you bring about fellowship with you and us. Lord, I pray that you will, I ask that you will um, initiate conversations with your people today. That, Lord, you would draw them into time to spend with you, to hear from you. I ask that you would draw them into the Word, draw them into fellowship. 
I ask today that you would give them wins over the evil one. They would recognize those times when the evil one is, is buffeting them and that you would give them some wins over that. I ask, Father, that you will give them clear instruction and speak to them. I ask you would overcome when we fail you and we sin and that you would speak clearly and you'd give us ears to hear, discernment to understand, and hands and feet that will obey. I ask, Father, that you will cause fellowship to be strong over these next few Sundays. That it will be rich and thick and sweet. And that in that fellowship with each other, we would taste more fellowship with you. And then, Father, as we come together corporately, I pray that you would give us an attitude and desire to sing and to worship over the Word. And may in all of that, Father, you be glorified, the Son be exalted, Spirit employed, and may our joy in you be full.